Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking batteries and the circular economy. This is a segment that many commodity houses are already investing in, and there is the potential that all of the lithium-ion batteries in the future come from either repurposed or recycled materials. What is the current state of lithium-ion battery recycling? What are the challenges? And what are the opportunities? Our guests, William Berg and Eden Yates, are working on just this, creating a platform, a marketplace for recycled lithium-ion batteries to unlock this future circular economy. William is the founder and CEO, and Eden is the head of marketing. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please do leave us a positive review, and I hope you enjoy the show. William, Eden, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. We're talking essentially the circular economy and how that relates to batteries and what that future opportunity might mean, in particular for our audience, the, the commodities world. Before we dig into recycling of batteries and the market for batteries, could you, perhaps Eden, you can kick us off. Can you just give us a sense of what are we talking about here? You know, what batteries, what's the market for them, where are they used, and, and what's the, the current state of and structure of, of, of that sector? Yeah, sure. So it's probably worth having a bit of scene setting because, you know, lithium-ion batteries have been around for quite a long time. And uh, the original creators of that, use them in electronics and that was that was the common association and now we're seeing them going from a much bigger spectrum from electric vehicles to micro mobility by that i mean scooters grid scale you know grid balancing stationary energy storage and reuse and you know just you get these little examples of where batteries end up and one example is retrofitting of classic cars we're also seeing lithium-ion batteries being used as uh, music festivals instead of you know your classic diesel generator that's backstage pumping out those noxious fumes and in tandem with all this uh, you know use cases of batteries is also the, the need to test them and, and diagnose them and get verified good data on that and as we're seeing more institutional capital and and you know these these mega fundraisers and and huge investments quarter on quarter, I think that's probably going to be a bigger factor in, in getting batteries uh, more widely spread. Mm. Yeah, I, I watched uh, the symposium for John Goodenough's 100-year birthday, and uh, that was the great and the good of the the battery world uh, there, you know, because he's one of the inventors. And and there was, there was one guy, Jeff Dan, who proposed batteries uh, to be lasting for 100 years. So that's quite a thing to think about how to build the inf- energy infrastructure over a 100-year timeline. Mm. Taking a bit of a step back, so has the world agreed on the lithium-ion battery? And is it a case that for the most part, these things have been as made as efficient as they, they possibly can? And Really, now it's just a case of production and deployment to meet this massive demand that you, you allude to, whether it's you know storage at the utility scale, whether it's obviously electric vehicles, which is probably the main driver of this discussion. But across the world, you're just seeing the, 
the electron revolution and the battery sits behind that. But, you know, is the chemistry set, is the technology set? And, I mean, to your point, do the current batteries we have, could they last 100 years? I, I would say that we've uh, agreed on lithium ion being the, the carrier of, uh, of energy. Then how they're uh, being stored in the anode and cathode, that's still to be worked on. But we're seeing how the NMC cathode is, is really taking the, the bigger leap and has been doing so for the last 10 years. New chemistries like LFP is now just because of supply chain constraints and, uh, and control of supply chains being, being just massively being more adopted in, in, the, in the vehicle space as well. I think we're going to continue to explore different ways to carry and store and transfer lithium ions, but definitely we're in the, we're in the, in the phase of, of, of industrializing and scaling it to global use. I was also listening to JB Straubel's uh, presentation at Benchmark a couple of weeks uh, weeks back, and he, he did mention this, this fact that we've been exploring with, with batteries and how they can be used and how we can manufacture them, how we can elaborate on what chemistries are actually stable and have a high energy density for many, many years now. And they do work in electric vehicles. We do see the ranges that we need to make electric mobility widespread. And now it's all about scaling up manufacturing, building factories globally, and follow up with actually having the, the supply chain that can cover up the demand. That is everything back from mining and all the way up to uh, recycling. Yeah, and that supply chain we've touched on previous episodes is obviously constrained, both uh, you know slightly in the world of geopolitics, but absolutely fundamentally in the in just the nature of how long it takes to go from a proposed mine through to a to a, a finished battery is some seven years, and we've had you know we all know Simon Moores and, and his work at Benchmark talking about this. That is a true a true challenge, right? And and plays into this idea of it can't just be brand new batteries being created. We have to do something with the existing batteries and the opportunities to recycle. There's also a, a regulatory backdrop, both to the growing demand, but also trying to address you know, the environmental fallout of, of creating all these batteries as well. Can you perhaps, Eden, perhaps you can take that on, just talking a little bit about what's, what's going on in the regulatory environment that plays into this narrative of a circular economy we're about to move on to. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the the most topical would be the Inflation Reduction Act and everything that's changing since that got published and, and all the, I don't want to say fractures that it's causing in the industry, but I guess a lot of worried execs in various OEMs are thinking about uh, supply and, and what their supply agreements are doing. And then to go to the Europe European side of it, the EU battery directive is, is being hashed out kind of as we speak, and that will, um, I guess, go into implementation early next year at some point. And both of those do have or will have uh, quite tight standards on recycling and reuse of batteries and, and guiding the production process through that. So it's a it's a pretty live area. And of course, you know, we're we're very open to the fact that recycling and reuse of, of batteries cannot you know wholly wholly at the moment replace mining you know there is it's just that the numbers don't stack up but eventually over time over you know generations it, it will be possible and you can offset the uh, 
you know, just to take one example, the massive water use that comes with uh, lithium and, and producing tons of lithium and how many liters of waters go into that. Hmm. So just to get some basics right, okay, when we talk about, so, so firstly, and perhaps William take this on, there is no standard shape or structure of a lithium ion battery. And, and also, when we talk about recycling, are we talking about recycling the components of the battery or the battery itself? Can you just help us understand, I guess, the mechanics of the structure of batteries today and what, what we mean by recycling them? When we talk about a battery cell, we, we can see three dominant uh, shapes. One being the cylindrical, looks like the, the AAA you have at home. There you can see some uh, standardization towards two uh, different form factors. You have pouch cells and you have prismatics. Uh, these cells are put into, usually into mod modules, which then are put into packs. And these packs are then put into the actual application. That's so what you do, got to do as a, when you, when you start um, recycling is you got to break down this, uh, this uh, system of a pack down to modules and ideally cells. And the way that the cells are packed into the module and the module into the, to the, to the battery pack is, is very, very important to consider when recycling. What we're, what we're seeing is that pouch cells and prismatic cells are, are because of just the form factor uh, of being block shaped makes it much easier to pack them without any adhesives or glues or, or smart uh, functions that uh, just forces them to stay in place. And that makes it easier to just nuts and bolts, remove, remove the cells and make the entire recycling process easier. When we look at re, uh, cylindrical cells, however, just because of the shape of them, you need some kind of adhesive in between to carry the heat that's being generated and to just keep them in place. And Tesla is, is the largest user of, of cylindrical cells. And what would, they've been doing over the, since, they, since their beginning is they use adhesives that are really good at uh, carrying uh, energy out of the cells in, in front of heat. But now with the, with the newest generation, we see that they're also going with structural adhesives to make the battery pack a part of the entire vehicle structure, which is amazing for, for vehicle performance, but with, is disastrous for recycling. Tearing apart a battery pack that is glued together with, with structural adhesives is very, very tricky. Is, is that just a, you know, excuse my skepticism here, but is that, okay, so there might be some effects on vehicle performance, but is that also by design in the sense that you then get this inbuilt lifespan now of the car and you can't just, you know, swap out your old battery pack for a new one and, you know, you're off to the races again? Well, how the cells are put into the pack doesn't really matter for battery swapping, as you can still remove the entire pack out of the vehicle and, and put a new fresh one in there. The question is really if that's needed. Um, you can do it for charging, perhaps. Uh, instead of you charge, you go with the, the NEO model and you swap the entire pack for a new one. But, but the cells and the performance of the battery is uh, looking to at least be, be long enough for the vehicle to be almost at the end of life itself. And so there's probably no need for, for swapping the battery because, because of the degradation. Yeah. Okay. And, and let's just clarify that as well. What do we mean by what do batteries degrade? What's the typical lifespan? You know, when is it, you know, in terms of recycling a battery, are there ways to get it back to original factory status in terms of its, its performance? 
So batteries, they degrade as you uh, use them and as time passes. Uh, this is most notable when you uh, watch your phone being uh, lasting, lasting a short and short, uh, shorter over time. And the same thing goes for, for batteries in vehicles. And so what happens is that you have a, an S-looking curve with a steep drop in the beginning of, uh, of the life. And then it flattens out uh, until it reaches somewhere around 80% of its original capacity uh, as the full charge. Somewhere after that, it quickly drops to, uh, to a state where you don't want uh, or should use it. And this modeling of how the battery is degrading is where I would say most research is, uh, should be put at the moment. It's very, very interesting to understand the state of health of the battery and in the future, the remaining useful life of that battery and how it can be, how many cycles there's left and in which application this uh, battery should and could go into as a second life. Right. Okay. So that's, in, yeah, that's interesting. Put a pin in that for two seconds. So yeah, you could take, you know, a high performance battery in a car halfway through its life. We could then put it into another use, maybe utility grade storage and it, and it works just fine. When we talk about recycling, just to get this clear, I don't think I'm clear on it. So you, you, ha you can recycle at the cell level you, or, you know, the pack level and say a module level and say, this can now go into another application. But you can also recycle at the uh, the, cell, the the chemistry level as well. Just recover that lithium, you know, repurposing. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I would say that recycling is a very uh, broad uh, word in this case. Uh, we talk about reuse, repurposing, and recycling, where reuse is uh, using the battery again in the same type of application. Uh, you can uh, you can put the, an old battery from a from an electric vehicle that is high performing into a lesser performing uh, vehicle. You could repurpose the entire uh, pack or the modules or the cells, and you put those uh, batteries into a, a less demanding application, which could be stationary storage. And then the third one is recycling, where you actually just grind down the cells into something you call black mass, which mostly consists of anode and cathode uh, material. And that can go into, into a recycling process that is uh, partly pyrometallurgical, but also hydrometallurgical to actually retrieve the, the raw materials that can go back into production of new, of new cells. Right. And is there, thanks for that. So over to you, Eden, what is the state of this technology? Is it commercially viable at this point? And I guess where, you know, do you see an increasing interest in recycling and indeed what are the, the, the participants in the supply chain right now? Are they investing in, in these facilities because they do see it becoming economically viable? Yeah, so there is, there is um, I, I think I could answer for the recyclers and, and say that it is commercially viable and they are doing it. What hasn't been established, I guess, is, is which is the winner out of the, the various recycling processes. And uh, we are seeing you know, quite a few of the old players who've, who've been around the recycling industry for a while uh, competing with, you know, newer entrants and including, you know, some of your listeners and, and the commodity guys and all the traders there. Uh, so it's, um, it's, it's kind of expanding from, from, I guess, the tight coterie of, of uh, recyclers who've traditionally dominated the industry to a bit of a free-for-all because, Fundamentally, the the most important thing for recycling today is is the acquisition of supply, and without supply at scale, it's very hard to recycle and refine your processes. And 
one one side of what we do is talk to car dismantlers and and building up relationships with them because they are one i guess port of entry into the uh into the recycling chain just can you just dig into that a little bit you know where where is this is is one technology starting to to look like it's going to dominate in 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 recycling options and indeed, you alluded to the traders. So I think Glencore, Mercuria, Trafigura have all invested in this circular economy of batteries. Are you seeing one technology start to dominate? And, you know, I'd love you to expand a bit more on kind of the current state of supply. I mean, is this even, you know, are there, are there is there a regulatory environment to push recycling? Is there even, I mean, most of the electric vehicles out there aren't older than five years, right? So it's, it's not like people are, uh, you know, assigned to abandon old cars yet. Yeah, so out of the technologies, there's HydroMet and PyroMet, you know, obviously, which is water based and and you know fire based recycling and then completing that trilogy is direct recycling and the first two i think are more are seen as more viable with the with the industry and those i guess the players in that are, are positioning themselves as as the champions of those of those two ones i think there's there's quite a few skeptics around direct recycling and yeah i mean the commodity traders they're getting involved as well and and some of them have been recyclers for quite a long time not really on the ev battery side of things but you know using uh, some of the other commodities and copper for instance is 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 and taking those learnings and applying it to the rest of the uh, of the supply chain and, and their operations so it is it's a good position for them to be in i guess because they've got this huge amount of logistics expertise able to transport hazardous waste and can have upstream midstream and downstream perspective on on the sector as it as it's uh as it's evolving which is incredibly valuable to have mm. and, and are we seeing is there a marketplace right now i know this is something that obviously what you guys are creating but are, are, are auto manufacturer recyclers you know junkyards etc are they able to sell these these used batteries is there you know what, what's the current state of i guess the valuation of of a, a used battery. Hmm. I think it's very important to consider the business model of those who own waste batteries today. Consider the, the, the system where we're coming from and how batteries have been collected so far. So the first one is um, battery so far has been collected on a voluntary basis. You bring your batteries to the shop, you put them in a bag and they're being collected. And this collection system is being funded by the producer as with the with producer uh, responsibility. So for every battery they put on the market, they also pay a little fee to the to these collection schemes uh, who are then carrying out the, the reverse logistics and getting the batteries back to recycling. Now, when we look at lithium ion batteries and especially lithium ion batteries in larger, larger battery systems, there's so much value in them that the waste owners rather not give them away for free on a voluntary basis. So, so what they see is that there's, there's an, a hesitance for, for anyone owning the waste to, to give it away for free or even actually paying to get rid of it. And then looking at the business model for, for those who extract the batteries from the vehicles, car dismantlers, their business model is to take in the scrap vehicles, strip it for spare parts, and then they sell these spare parts. And, and to them, the battery is just another spare part. And if you look in the Nordics, which is a quite digitized uh, space, 
they do get to sell their batteries as uh, on, on, on other marketplaces where they, where they sell the, the rest of the spare parts. But if you look globally, there is no place where batteries go. They do go everywhere and nowhere. They are going into reuse, repurposing, they're going to recycling. But there is there is no one marketplace or a collection system that is really designed to take care of, of lithium-ion batteries and especially large lithium-ion battery systems. The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. And, and that's where uh, you, you guys come in <laughs> and we'll, 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 we'll get to that. Okay, so, but, so at the moment, it still feels like it's rather nascent, right? There's a recognition of the value in these batteries, especially given the backdrop of real constraints already and projected incredible constraints, lack of supply of lithium-ion batteries, um, despite, obviously, I think now governmental recognition in Western Europe and in, in the US and legislation to support battery, you know, gigafactories and so forth. There's just, you know, as being constantly alluded to, the, 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 the value chain back up to the mine is just incredibly constrained. What do you think is going to unlock, I guess, well, let's talk about things that are going to unlock battery recycling. We've touched on sort of the technology. It seems like you've alluded to there, Eden, that pyro and hydro are sort of the way to go. Are, do you think there are big advances in recycling itself? Or we just, we know the chemistry, we know the process, there's efficiency to be made. But for the most part, that's that's probably not what's going to accelerate recycling. I would say that the biggest the biggest enabler of large-scale recycling is large-scale supply. And to that, to that point, also sorted and, uh, and traced supply so that you actually know what you're putting into your, to your recycling processes. To unlock the supply, you have to first of all know where are the waste batteries? Where do they go? How can we trace them to, to, to end of life? And here we have pretty interesting uh, projects coming from, from EU on the, on the battery passport. It follows a Chinese uh, project on, on tracing every single cell. Uh, that was it's a it's a framework that was put into action in 2018 and when the batteries finally reach end of life how can we make sure that the owners get the most value for for their batteries so that they don't store the batteries for years that's as they are doing today because they have a belief that the batteries are worth more than they're actually being offered by recyclers so what we believe is is one of the key solutions here to unlock the supply is to is to help car dismantlers and workshops and insurance companies, collectors, collection systems, is to help them find the right uh, path for each every battery, and it comes down very much to understanding what is this battery, how is it structured, what's the original specifications, but also what is the end of life spe- specifications. What is the state of health of this battery? Uh, what's the voltages? What's the key technical factors that 
helps repurposing companies and reusing companies to decide, is this a battery that is worth putting into a second life system? And if it's not, then it must go to recycling. But as we stand today, it's car dismantlers and others who hold waste batteries, they believe these batteries are worth much more than the recyclers are offering. So they rather not give it away to recycling. So there's a big blocker for, for recyclers to, to get batteries just because of the fact that owners don't want to pay to get rid of them. Mm. And, and you're, before we talk about, I guess, price discovery, which unlocks that, is there, are there agreed upon protocols, testing frameworks, commonly understood and accepted that enables people to talk a common language when they're talking about the quality of a battery? Not really all, at all, I would say. So we, we speak with buyers and sellers of waste batteries from, from over 20 countries. And what we still see is that there's, there's not one way that anyone is, is describing a waste battery that is, look, looks the same as, as describing another uh, battery. There's, there's not one uh, agreed method to say that this is how we define state of health. Uh, there's not one uh, spec sheet that is uh, designed for end-of-life batteries that, that everyone agrees on. And that is also what we're working towards. So we're, we're setting up these spec sheets at the moment. So that just to help off takers to, to know what they're, to know what they're buying. Yeah. Then, so the other part of this is kind of the hardware side, Eden, maybe you can comment to this. So, and I've seen there's a growing movement in the, in just in the U S I've seen where there's a, a demand from customers that products are more easily recyclable, i.e. Apple, you can't just glue the battery into the phone and it, and it it's not, you can't get it out. And, uh, you know, that's analogous to what Tesla are doing. Do you see a standardization in the type of battery? You know, everyone just agrees on prismatics and then a some kind of regulation afoot that talks about you can't glue these things in. They have to be made for a, a circular economy. Yeah, so uh, I think the, yeah, the commercial imperative to... to to preserve factory secrets and trade secrets remains quite high. So to your point about gluing shut these batteries and, and maintaining value, that is quite a big thing that still happens. And in terms of, I guess, standardization, the bigger question would be which chemistry is, is going to emerge as the most commonly used one. And from that, I guess it goes into the, the hardware. And obviously you have all the supply issues around nickel and cobalt and lithium which which out of the various chemistries is, is going to be the most widely deployed. And in China, you're seeing, I guess, a, a, the leader of, of one sort of chemistry being deployed, which is lithium iron phosphate. Is that right, William? And then and then avoiding cobalt and, and, and nickel and, and Tesla are kind of following that as well. But, you know, there are still cobalt being used in, in other chemistry, battery chemistries and cobalt clearly has a, a very tight supply and not good mining conditions for that for that supply. So so the, the biggest question, I guess, is, is chemistry and everything flows from that. I can maybe just nuance that a little bit on, on how to uh, actually fixate the batteries into the system, which I alluded to uh, towards, you know, you know, you cannot glue the, the, the battery into a, an iPhone. And that, those regulations are coming. And I would say that the electric scooter, electric kick bike companies are are doing it pretty well. Just a, a few years ago, the first um, kick bikes being put on the street on these uh, 
<laughs> these large fleets that we see out there, they were actually integrated into the vehicle, making it very, very difficult to extract the battery. But now, already now, just, just a two, three years later, all batteries are removable and even swappable. And we see the same things going with the electric scooters, uh, mopeds. It's very easy to get the battery out from the vehicle. And I would say it's going to be, uh, it's, it's not as easy to just swap a battery from an electric vehicle, but it's, it's really going in the right direction there to just get a battery out from the application. Right now, what, do you have any sense of the scale, what percentage of batteries currently in EVs are intended to be recycled? You talk about sort of these vehicle dismantlers hoarding them in the expectation of future prices, of their value currently not being expected uh, realised. What, what scale are we at right now in terms of amount of batteries that are, are recycled and then the, the, the marketplace value itself? It's a it's a very tricky question, Paul. We so far can only assume that's a fifty. What we do in, in our estimations at the moment, because we just lack the the insights, is how many batteries are going to reuse, repurposing, and recycling. Uh, we can draw some estimations uh, of you know modeling which are going where. It's it's a simple fact that there is no tracking or tracing or follow up of where batteries go. And so it's it's a question that is very, very relevant and should be easy to answer, but we can't. And I, I would like to say that, that that's also what we're doing. We're, we're, we're tracking all the trades that we do and we're seeing where our battery is coming from and where they're going. And how can we make sure that they're going to places and to players that are verified, certified, properly vetted to actually be able to take care of them in a safe and environmentally friendly way. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky question to answer today, but not in the future. And does that mean that there are lithium ion battery packs of scale, you know, EV battery packs that are currently going into landfills? <laughs> I, I would like to hear Hans-Erik Melin's uh, answer on this one. I, I wouldn't say that we see electric vehicle batteries being put on piles in landfills. I've never seen that. I've only heard people talking about it, which I just think is a is a way to illustrate what the risks are, but there are massive amounts of batteries out there, and they're being both stored in drawers at homes, but also uh, being somewhat consolidated at logistics sites in large containers or or other ways of storing the batteries where they uh, are sitting and they're not being uh, moved just because of unknown value of the batteries. Mm. Which is where and where you guys come in. So when you reached out, it really captured my imagination what you and Kling Systems are doing, which is essentially to create a, a marketplace and price discovery for this, you know, what we can only assume is going to be a very large segment of the commodities markets in the future, given the way that lithium-ion batteries are, are going in the demand. So can you perhaps set us up as just to understand what you know what you're attempting to do so we've been talking about the the challenges to to get batteries to recycling and reuse and i'd say we're, we're doing everything we can to close the loop of batteries and we believe that the biggest challenge is is entropy the fact that batteries are being used they're being sold in second hand third hand they're being exported they're far away from their country of origin when they reach end of life or at least far away from a collection system 
They're, they have unknown uh, values. We, they have unknown end-of-life paths. You don't know if it can be reused. You don't know if it should be repurposed. You don't know which recycling process and recycling player is actually building a process that's designed for that specific battery chemistry. So what we're doing is we're, first of all, mapping out the players out there, knowing what processes they're doing, who are having batteries out there, and which batteries are there. So we're, we're, we're doing three things. First of all, we're building a marketplace connecting the players of holding used or waste batteries and the ones that want to capture that remaining value in terms of energy or in terms of raw material. Secondly, we're building a battery database that we're calling a, that is, is set up in a chem to pack model so that we, for every battery system out there, we're mapping which modules are in which battery pack, which cells are in which modules and which chemistries are in which cells so that we can understand what's the energy out there in waste batteries and what's the raw material contents out there. And the second part is what we call the online mine that we believe in the future will support and make the, the supply chains more resilient by just mapping out how many tons of cobalt and nickel and manganese and aluminum and, and copper and all of the other critical materials out there for battery manufacturing is out there in waste batteries. And we believe that recyclers over time will support and in the, in the very long term replace mining activities. And the, the third part what we're doing is, is actually getting the batteries from A to B. And it's everything from, from dismantling, it's from testing, it's to packaging the batteries in the right containers that is uh, safe and complying to the waste shipping regulations. And then it's also shipping. So it's everything from matching supply and demand, understanding what we are matching, and then finally getting the batteries to, to where they should go. Yeah, and I just want to add to that, actually, Paul, mm. hearing your previous guest, uh, Bill Nussie, on the recent episode when he was talking about the, the fourth order effect of, of platforms coming after the first, second and third order effects of components, integrations and services. And, you know, ideally, we want to be the fourth order effect of, of the energy infrastructure for the next generation and, and how that's going to change concepts of energy uh, security and resiliency. And I think his, his points about local energy if I remember correctly, was, you know, really well made. And that kind of struck at the heart of what we're trying to do, help local supply become a thing. Mm. So, I mean, I find it fascinating. So in essence, you know, you'd be, if I'm out there looking, wanting to build utility scale storage, I'm making this up, and I don't need to have the the most perfect batteries to do that. I just need them in that sort of the flat part of the S curve you described. I could go onto your platform. I could source those batteries. The online mine would tell me the provenance of those batteries. A common agreed upon testing system would ensure that they are, you know, what they say they are and they've been stored correctly. And we're off to the races, right? Exactly. That's where we're heading. Yeah. And, and, and you said something there, William, which was, fascinating just as we look forward from this is it conceivable do you see a time when the vast majority of batteries are made from recycled chemistries or are repurposed compared to freshly made ones i think it's uh, inevitable primary raw materials are 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 limited and we're, we're going from an economy that is uh, fossil fuel based 
which is a which is an energy carrier that is consumed when you use it. And now we're going to uh, batteries that is the the you know soon to be primary carrier of energy, and they are not consumed when they reach end of life, but they can be you know infinitely recycled if we do recycle them properly and and, and everything like that. So we have enough raw materials to 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 power much of our society. So there's no need to dig up new ones. And eventually it's just gonna be more cost effective to get recycled materials because the the end like the raw material density in a used battery is just much, much more dense than than the raw materials in uh, in the ground. Mm. And then you know this is pushed for also by regulations. So it's also gonna be forced the, the industry is going to be forced to, to use recycled materials. And it's starting relatively soon if you look at the European battery regulation. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I guess when I first came to this world of lithium right through the early episodes, it, will it become commoditized and will it be traded commodity? Um, and there, there have been some contracts on, you know, available on CME, etc. But actually kind of just listening and talking to you guys at the time we've had, the likelihood is the commodity aspect the trading aspect of of batteries is going to be in this circular economy level right we're not going to necessarily see a, a vast trade for these newly mined products or metals it's going to actually sit within the circular economy and hence why we are seeing the traders who the one thing they have is a better view of the future than others given the amount of intelligence that they have gathered through operating in global marketplace are already seeing this and starting to invest in those key aspects of the supply chain that will control the, the value in the marketplace yeah i think it's fascinating I, it, I i love the question of you know what's a commodity and how do you how, how abstract uh, does a thing have to be to to be to be able to commoditize it it's already very interesting discussions on whether lithium uh, is a, is a is a commodity, and many in the industry uh, uh, argue that it's not. It's a special uh, chemistry. But as you add more information to things, and you can map out similarities and just be able to describe whatever you're trading, you can trade the raw materials in batteries if you can just map out the actual raw materials that are in those batteries. But even maybe you could you could maybe nuance this. Yeah, and and I guess the the biggest nuance that we we probably have to mention is the you know geopolitical angle and the security of supply and the Inflation Reduction Act is going to change things and the EU Battery Directive is going to change things. There is the overwhelming dominance that China has on large parts of the supply chain, so there is a lot of nuances there there as well because China and the big Chinese operations have huge contracts in place with the big Western car makers and, you know, the likes of Tesla and VW have pretty tight linkages with the likes of BYD and CATL. There's also a shade, I guess, to not really a shade, but a kind of perspective that one needs to look at how the 2020s are going to play out and into the 2030s and how China will, to some extent, maybe loosen its grip on the supply chain. Will it let the US do that when when all these uh, issues around Taiwan are happening? Uh, it's it's kind of hard to know. Yeah, it sits as always, right? The commodities and energy in general sit at the the, the nexus of geopolitics, and uh, there's a fascinating story there that it, that will, will play out. One final question: What we haven't talked about here in terms of accelerating this circular economy, and which has come up in previous episodes, is obviously carbon and carbon avoidance and potential credits tied to that. Is anyone working on a voluntary credit tied to 
the recycling of of batteries and i assume that would be quite a an accelerant to the to the sector i don't I, i'm sure there is i just don't know if it's in our bit of the uh of the industry i guess uh companies like circular who are tracking uh their raw materials in, in batteries but also in other in other streams are are working towards uh, how they can tie carbon emissions and, and carbon footprints to to batteries that's also a big part of the of the battery passport that's being uh, developed at the moment looking at how much carbon was was emitted in each step of the of the value chain of producing that battery and how it's used uh, but but then you know the the next order of that into putting them to uh, to carbon credits and, and and trading of them and how how that's going to be uh, used as a as a you know carbon credits as a as a commodity almost i i, I haven't seen a, a player that is doing that purely but i guess that's a, that must be coming soon right well you, you can have that one for free <laughs> thank you <laughs> well okay so where so it's been a really interesting discussion i feel like there's so much more i've got so many questions and so much more to cover but we'd love to have you guys back on in a year or so and see where you've got to on this journey because i think it's a, a fascinating one and i think it's a, another example of actually the commodities sector being at the forefront of energy transition and the opportunities that presents Eden, where can where can people who will no doubt be interested off the back of this conversation find out about you and, and, and Kling Systems? Yeah, just uh, just get in touch. We're you know always happy to take calls on the either the bio or the sell side, klingsystems.com or our LinkedIn, or we're always uh, around for a chat and to see where the industry is going and and talk about you know any supply that we have or or anything like that. I think. One of the best and most interesting things about this industry is that everyone talks to each other all the time and there isn't a huge, isn't always a huge commercial imperative in those discussions. It's just seeing what's out there and seeing who's doing what and, you know, who's, who's got their eye on this, this angle or, and uh, yeah, we're happy to engage in those conversations or something a bit harder. So, Excellent. Well, William. Eden, it's been a real pleasure to have you both on. I'll put a, I'll put your website in the, in the show notes so people can find it. And um, yeah, look forward to I guess future conversations and seeing where this this journey takes you. Thank you very much, Paul. For Thank us. you very much, Paul. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a real pleasure. And uh, Dan Jurgen has been a huge influence on me, so, so I'm, I'm very honoured to be on a podcast where he's also been on. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.